we begin our time in the Word this morning, we're going to read Scripture aloud together. This is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Would you read this with me? I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great to see you. Good morning. How's everyone? Before I launch in today, uh, we want to announce from stage on a Sunday, officially, what we have been trying to communicate for a couple weeks now via the email update, and that is that Ian Johnson, our youth minister, uh, has accepted a position at a sister church of ours in Macon, Missouri. Ian, of course, led us through communion today, if you are not familiar with who Ian is. Um, and he and his wife, Bethany, so in the next couple of weeks, we'll be wrapping up uh, their ministry here and moving to uh, another place and beginning a new chapter in God's kingdom for them. And so we are absolutely certainly sad about that. Ian and Bethany have given us five years of their lives in this place, building into us, building into our kids, and we are sad to see them go. Their time here has been productive. It's been fruitful. Uh, but we also are trusting that God is doing what God always does, and, and that is He's not, um, it's not unlike God to move pieces around the board, and, uh, and His plans and His ultimate purposes will be fulfilled. And so, we trust God in that. Sometimes those moves don't make sense to us, but uh, God will win in the end, and uh, He has promised that He knows what He's doing. And so, uh, what that allows us to do is to trust God and send Ian and Bethany to another place as people who are more equipped uh, and more prepared for youth ministry as than they were when they came to us. And so, we've built into them, and now they, go, they get to go and share that with another church, and that's a beautiful thing to be a part of. So, it's not just that Ian and Bethany are leaving, it's also that we get to send them and that's, that's an amazing thing. So, we'll be having some time to say goodbye to Ian and Bethany. Uh, one is on Wednesday night. Uh, they will have some uh, kid stuff, the youth group, and, and they'll do some special stuff. And then after that youth group time, from 7.30 to 8.30 in our gym, we would love it if you would come, uh, if you want to, and just wish Ian and Bethany well, tell them how much you've loved them while they've been here, and, uh, and uh, just wish them well. And that window from 7.30 to 8.30 to will be for the rest of us uh, to do that. And so, we encourage you to do that. Then, on Ian's last Sunday, on February 7th, we'll put the morning together so that we send them off appropriately with some special things. Uh, planned for that day. So, um, the series that we're in is Pray First. That's uh, already been rattled off today, and that's what exactly what we would like you to do in this matter. Uh, we would like you to pray first. Would you pray that Ian and Bethany uh, would be um, effective in their new place, that the people there uh, would be helped and ministered to by them in their new location, then also pray first for us. Pray for us as we 
move forward so that we can continue to take really good care of our kids and disciple them to be leaders of the church. And so, would you join with us, and, and can we all just pray first for these things? And uh, we'll, we'll launch into that, and that will segue into the sermon because every, a, a phrase we're using every week is this, that prayer should not be our first response. It should be our first response, not our last resort. That's what prayer is. And so, let's let it be that. Before your coffee in the morning, pray first. Before your meal, pray first. Before the appointment, before the call, before the class, pray first. Before you email, before you tweet something, before you post something, pray first. Before we send a youth minister off, we're going to pray first. And, and before we fill his shoes with another person, we're going to pray first. And we're pulling that idea of praying first from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, where Paul says, pray without ceasing. Want a good verse to memorize? It's that one. And it's very easy. Pray without ceasing. It just means that we invite God into everything we do. And so, we begin everything by recognizing God. And that will happen easier for us when we realize who we're talking to. We started the very first week saying that our view of God will shape our prayers, uh, that, that when we understand that we are praying to a son who is full of grace, that we are praying to a father who loves us unconditionally, we're praying to a spirit who is always a friend, always with us. That influences how we relate to God. And then last week, we bounced out of that initial idea and said that the way, the right view of God will generate the right words to God. And we, we prayed through the Lord's Prayer and, and used that as an outline for all of our prayers. And then today, we add a final thought to that, to that sentence, and we're going to go with this. The right view of God will generate the right words to God and build the right life for God. And the, the big idea behind building the right life for God is this, why do we pray? Let me throw a few reasons at you today that I, I think will be helpful uh, as we kind of consider why do we do this thing called prayer? Why are we called to it? Here's, here's number one. We pray because prayer lets us see ourselves as we really are. Uh, the prophet Isaiah was given a vision of God's holiness in His temple. He was, he was there, and he was uh, struck by a vision of God in His holiness, and he had, because of this vision, an immediate realization of who he really was in comparison to the God that he sees. He cries out this way in Isaiah chapter 6. He says, "'Woe to me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips.'" For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And because he saw God as God really was, Isaiah also saw himself in the complete reality of who he really was. Because he had seen God correctly, he saw himself correctly. That's what prayer does. It lets us see who we really are. Now, for that to work, we should mention that in order for uh, us to see ourselves as who we really are, we need honest prayers. Honesty. When we're coming to God in prayer, honesty would seem like a normal and natural thing, but let's be honest, it's really easy to hide the real us behind some of the things that we say in prayer. 
Uh, we, we rattle off words that are and phrases that are familiar, they're rote, we just say them because they're the right things to say, and that's not really honest prayer, is it? Honest prayer is about taking t- time to expose ourselves completely to God, and we reveal our deepest hurts and flaws and sins. And, and true prayer then doesn't allow us to deceive God, and it doesn't allow us to deceive ourselves. It kind of pops the balloon on the self-inflated ego that we sometimes have. It helps us clearly see who God is and that we are not Him. And when we do the honest work of prayer, we, we lay before God explicit sins and wrongdoing, and at the same time, we, sometimes we can uncover the postures and attitudes and perspectives and over-desires that led us to those sins in the first place. And so, what Isaiah helps us to understand is that the nearer we get to God, who is the supreme beauty, the supreme intelligence, the supreme purity, the more acutely aware we are of our own sinfulness and unsightliness and dullness and impurity, whatever word you want to put there. Prayer allows us to recognize both things at once. And prayer allows us, maybe for the first time ever, to see who we really are. And that kind of evaluation of our true selves cannot be gained anywhere else. You might say to me, well, wait a minute, we, we have relationships in our lives. We, I, have, I have a spouse, I have a boss, I have friends who know me deeply. Can I not learn who I really am from those people? And I would say, yes, yes, you can, but only partly. To all those people, spouse, boss, friend, you relate differently. And to each one of those people, you only expose part of who you really are. Even to the person who knows you best, whether it's your spouse, whether it's a really good friend, you only are giving them what you want them to see. And that means that you don't really know who you truly are through their eyes. But with God, it's different. With God, we cannot wear masks. Uh, He sees every part of us. Hebrews 4 says this, that no creature is hidden from His sight. We are all naked, that's the word, and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Do you want to know your true self? Then build a life of prayer. Here's number two. Why do we pray? Prayer enlarges our expectation. In Psalm chapter 5, uh, verse 3, we read this. In the morning, this is David, and he's, he's writing this psalm, and he's also describing his prayer time. He says, in the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. Now, uh, some words let us know what's going on there. David is describing his prayer time. He says, in the morning. First, that sounds like he's praying first, does it not? It at least sounds like this, that this is a daily rhythm for him. This is a routine. This is something he does all the time. In the morning, I pray, and you hear my voice. He's not just praying to the wind. Uh, There's somebody at the other end of the line. This is a relationship, and it's an intimate one. It's just he and God. And he says, "I, I lay my request before you. He recognizes, even though he's the king of Israel, he recognizes where the real authority lies, that it's not with him as king. It's God. And he lays his request, and then he waits in expectation. Let's key in on that little phrase. Have you ever had expectations? Uh, Just go back a few weeks ago, 
And I can about guarantee that at least some of you in the room had some expectations of what would be under the tree, of what would be in the stocking, of what would be in the box wrapped up. We had expectations. And why did we have expectations? Because at some point, somebody said, what do you want for Christmas? And we said, oh, I would love a new drill or whatever it is. And so now we are expecting things. Maybe our prayers are weak and we don't expect things because we quit asking God. We quit praying. Prayerlessness is another word for low expectations. When we're in prayer mode, uh, our expectations are different. Suddenly, they become God-sized. So, maybe I could say it this way. If you're not expecting anything after you pray, then maybe you didn't pray. Prayer enlarges our expectation. David prays, and then he steps back to wait on God and to see what he'll do, expecting him to act. And most of us are a little different in we, we just wait, but we don't wait expectantly like David did. And there's a huge difference. How would it change your prayers if you knew that God would absolutely answer them? Now, that is a loaded statement. And you cannot just take that away and do with it whatever you want. You have to evaluate what I just said, that God, what if, what if He would answer anything? You have to evaluate that line in light of what we talked last week about praying God's agenda first. That's what He wants to be a part of our prayer, that His kingdom, seek first His kingdom. His kingdom is first. But when I pray His agenda first, why would He not want to answer that prayer? Uh, A.W. Tozer uh, said, prayer is always in danger of degenerating into a glorified gold rush. And if we don't pray God's agenda first, then that's exactly what prayer will become. Give me this, God. Give me this. But praying God's agenda first, by doing that, we can fully expect that God will act because we already know He wants to. Bob Russell says, everyone has doubts now and then. God does not expect perfect faith, but sincere faith, a genuine heart that believes God is good, that He is great, that He is willing to hear and answer prayer. Why do we pray? Number three, prayer expands our awareness of what God is doing. Um, This is a fun subject to talk about, and Mark Batterson has written a lot about prayer, and he talks about this in a lot of different places. And he talks about how our brains are designed and how it relates to prayer. And so, here's a little brain trivia for you. Uh, One of the features of your brain, of my brain, is that in a corner of it somewhere, we have what is called a reticular activating system. Anybody ever heard of the RAS? I actually had a couple hands in the other services. I don't see many. The reticular activating system is a system that we have to have. Our brains are constantly bombarded with stimuli gathered from all of our senses, whether it's a sound or whether it's a sight or a smell or a touch or a taste or a thought or just something going on around us. And you can imagine what, what would happen if you were forced to focus on every little thing that was happening to you and around you at one time? 
you couldn't handle all that, all that stimuli. You'd be instantly overwhelmed. And so, what God did is He put a little filter in a part of our brain, and the reticular activating system is that filter that determines what you need to pay attention to and what you don't. And so, uh, my RAS is telling me right now, I don't really need to pay attention to the fact that my heart is beating. I don't need to do that. If I were to do that, it would distract me and, you know, uh, this would be a terrible sermon. It might be anyway, but no, then it would for sure be, right? The best way to explain the reticular activating system is through something that we've all experienced. How many of you have ever bought a car or wanted a car? Um, When you buy a car, you go through that process, when you want a car, here's what happens. You suddenly begin to notice that particular car all around you, and it happens like that. I'm looking at a Toyota 4Runner. I want to buy a Toyota 4Runner, and all of a sudden, at every stoplight across from me is a Toyota 4Runner. How does that happen? I mean, it's not like everybody all of a sudden decides to buy Toyota 4Runners. They were always there. You just never noticed them, but now that you want one, you notice them everywhere you go. Anybody with me? You, you're shaking your head? Yes, you are aware of this, uh, this scenario. Okay. That's the reticular activating system. And what it's doing is creating a category in your brain telling you now to notice that thing that you're after. Now, how does this relate to prayer? Because it creates the categories for what we want to experience. Uh, I play uh, a Taylor guitar when I lead worship, and I decided a long time ago that I would just buy a really nice guitar once and play it my whole life and never worry about upgrading a a guitar, and so I I bought a Taylor. And now guess what I do whenever anybody is in front of me, whether it's live or on TV and they have a guitar in their hand, guess what I I do? I look to see, is that a Taylor? Are they playing a Taylor? No, it's Gibson. Uh, no, no, it's, no, it's a Martin. Oh, he's playing a Taylor. Now, see, that's my RAS kicking in. Yours may be totally different. I don't know what you're into. But when we pray, what we're doing is engaging the reticular activating system, and we're creating those kind of categories for our brain. And so we pray about people. We pray about our dreams and desires. We pray about the needs that we have. And our brain, through the RAS, kicks all of those prayers into categories, and then our RAS leads us to follow up with those categories. And so, when we start praying for people, it's not uncommon for us to say this, oh, we see that person that we've been praying for, how's your grandma? Oh, I heard you you had an interview this week, how did that go? Because you've been praying for, for that interview. You just got out of the hospital. I know you had surgery. Are you recovering well? Because you've been praying for the prayer relies on this important part of our brain because categories are are created, and those categories create in us a desire to know and to follow up and to find the answers to the prayers that we've been praying. Now, think about the inverse. If, If the opposite were true, if there were no categories, if the reticulating activating system has not been exercised, because we have not prayed, then those people, all those dreams, all those desires, all those needs that we might have prayed about, they'll all still be around you. They'll still all flow around you like they always do, but you won't notice them. 
They will escape your attention. And God will be moving and He'll be acting, but you will be blind to it because you're not praying. Prayer actively engages the reticular activating system so that we are aware of what God is doing so that we can then be a part of it. So, easy way to say it, the more we pray, the more we notice. That's it. The more we pray, the more we'll notice. Uh, William Temple commented once that he said, whatever anybody has to say about whether prayer works or not, here's what I've noticed, that when I pray, coincidences happen, and when I stop praying, coincidences stop happening. It's kind of like the golfer who won a ton of tournaments in a row. He's a really great golfer, and someone accused him of being lucky. And he said, well, yeah, I am kind of lucky. But then he commented that he noticed that the more he practiced, the luckier he got. That's how it works. The more we pray, the more coincidences we'll encounter, the luckier we'll be. Of course, it's not coincidence. It's not luck at all. This is how God works. God is always working around us. It's just that when we pray, we recognize His hand. And so, if we're going to take prayer seriously, then maybe we should chart it out a a bit, uh, put a schedule on it, have a strategy, maybe a list, maybe a prayer journal. Uh, Maybe maybe I'm going to pray in the morning. I'm going to pray at night. When you track your prayers and when you stick to a consistent system, it will be remarkable how many small but very significant coincidences and miracles you will encounter that you never otherwise would have known about. And so, this is one of the reasons that we want to try to get everybody on the same page as we all pray uh, for 21 days. It's not that we want you to wait to, to start praying. It's that we want to pray focused prayers for 21 days as a church congregation and just open ourselves, our RASs, up to uh, what God is doing around us. And the more we pray, the more we'll notice. Here's number four. Why do we pray? Prayer enables us to catch opportunities. Paul writes that we are to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And this word watchful is an Old Testament word. It describes a scene that an ancient city might have uh, if you could pull that in your mind, an ancient city might have walls around it, and in strategic locations in those walls, there might be towers, and there would be a guy in those towers, and that watchman would be scanning the horizon for enemies, for people coming that might be friends, for opportunities. Maybe there's a herd of something, and we can go hunt and have some food. Uh, maybe, maybe he's looking for changes in the weather so they can alert all of the townspeople. Think about that watchman as opposed to any other resident of the city uh, because of his vantage point, because of where he is. He gets to see further than anyone else. He gets to see sooner than anyone else. He gets to see more than anyone else. But it's not just about what he sees. It's also about the implications of what he sees, because there's an advantage to being the watchman. He's the first to know. So, if the enemy is coming, he gets to alert his superiors, and they get to figure out how to, you know, stand against their enemy. But what does the watchman also get to do? He also gets to go home and tell his family, hey, I know the enemy is coming. I have firsthand account. I saw the enemy. And that gives you more time to prepare for what's coming. And you and I, 
have that same opportunity in prayer. When we live in prayer mode, we get to see what others miss. We see the answer that God is giving. We get to see the healing that God is doing. We get to see the change that God is making in somebody's lives. We get, we get to see the, the danger that might be rolling in in front of us. We get to see the victory that God has already promised and brought about in the person of Jesus. And we also get to see opportunities that God throws our way, opportunities that we might never see otherwise. Howard Schultz had a year, a job that paid him $75,000 a year, but he also had a deep passion for coffee. Uh, he had so much of a passion for coffee that he sold everything he had. He put everything and a lot more into a small chain of coffee stores called Starbucks. This was 1987. He bought Starbucks for $4 million. And at the time, he said, I felt like a salmon swallowing a whale. But he pulled the trigger anyway because he knew that if he didn't, he would always wonder what if, what could have been. And so five years later, in 1992, in its first IPO, Starbucks became the second most traded company on the NASDAQ. And by the closing bell that day, the market cap of Starbucks stood at $273 million. Now, do a little math. Four versus $273 million. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's more, right? $273 million is more. And it's not too shabby of an R R a return on investment, right? And what Schultz saw was an opportunity that most of us, 99% of us probably, would never see. What if he had passed on that deal? Or maybe, maybe more correctly, what if he had been like most of us and had never even seen that kind of a deal? It's hard to imagine life without a Starbucks every 10 feet except for Fort Scott, America. That's just where we live, right? Uh, if he would have missed the opportunity, he would have saved, get this, $4 million. But he also would have lost the opportunity of $273 million. And by the way, that's in 1992 dollars. Today, Starbucks market cap is just under $120 billion with a B. Now, business gurus, when they talk about this kind of thing, they call it opportunity costs. He would have saved $4 million if he had done nothing, but his opportunity cost was $273 million. It was actually $120 billion. I wonder about our opportunity cost when it comes to following Christ. What do we miss out on that could have brought vast returns for God's kingdom because we're not praying? Now, am I suggesting that we'll all be coffee entrepreneurs and worth billions when we start praying? No, I'm not suggesting that. But I am suggesting this, that when we pray, we will see opportunities to expand God's kingdom that would have otherwise passed us by. Consistent prayer, specific prayer allows you to see farther, to see first, to see more of God, and to catch the opportunities that He's throwing your way. Here's, here's the last one, number five. Why do we pray? Prayer is the only way to know God and to build the right life. Uh, we circle back to where we started. Prayer is not just the way we get to know our true selves, 
But prayer is also then the way that we change our true selves. Prayer is the way that our character is formed. E. Stanley Jones has a a great explanation of why prayer changes us. He says this, if I throw a boat hook from the boat and catch hold of the shore and pull, do I pull the shore to me or do I pull myself to the shore? Now, the answer is pretty obvious even to those of you who are in the overflows today. Uh, Prayer is exactly the same. Prayer is not pulling God to my will. Prayer is the pulling of my will to the will of God. Prayer is not a way to get things from God. Prayer is a way to get more of God Himself. Now, with that in mind, I want you to think about the prayers that you might have prayed recently. What are they like? What, what were you asking for? Were you asking for God to bend His will to yours? Do this, God. Fix that, God. Give me X, Y, or Z, God. And if we're honest, that's the way our prayers usually go, right? But if there's a very interesting study that you can do. If you, if you track the prayers in the New Testament, especially the prayers of the Apostle Paul when he wrote to people in his letters who he was trying to encourage to follow Christ in a big way, we'll find a big clue to prayer. We can look in Ephesians 1, there's a prayer for people, Uh, Philippians 1, Colossians 1, Ephesians 3, and all of those texts give us a really good picture of how Paul prayed for people that he loved. And Ephesians chapter 1 is probably a really good uh, heart of this idea, and it's our Scripture text for today. It's what we read earlier. He says this, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And here's what I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. So, what's he praying for? Very simply, he's saying, I keep asking God for this for you, that you would know Him more. That is the overall takeaway from all of the prayers of Paul. To Paul, the most important ask in prayer on behalf of other people was that a person would know God more. And it's really significant to us. You should take note that Paul never once asked God to change the situations of the people he was praying for. Think about how our prayers usually go. Lord, be with my son or my daughter or my husband or wife. Convince them to change. Lord, be with this circumstance. I Just change the circumstance. It's a a frozen day, and I want a sunny day. Would you just make it a sunny day? That's what we pray. Paul doesn't pray that way. In his written prayers that we have available to us, he never prayed those kind of prayers for his most significant friends. It reveals to us that what Paul thought was the most important thing that God could give someone wasn't solutions, wasn't fixes, wasn't miracles. Are you ready? Here it is. The most important thing God could give to somebody was more knowledge of Him so they could know Him better. The highest good in our prayers, the most important thing for us to pray for is that someone would know God more. They would know God better. When I was a younger parent, um, I had kids that would step into a batter's box, that would step on the stage with a microphone, and uh, I, at, at the very first, 
I, I would pray things like this. Oh, God, give Davis a base hit. He really needs a base hit right now. God, would you, would you give Delyn a, a one today in the contest? As she needs a one. And then I came to realize how fruitless those prayers were. They didn't make a difference. So here's, here's what I started praying. When Davis would step into the batter's box, when Delyn would step on the stage, I started praying, God, give them what they need. I don't know what they need. I have an idea. I mean, I'd really like a home run here, but I don't know if that's what Davis really needs. What he really needs is to know you more. And that may, may come through a home run. I don't know. It may come through a strikeout. So God, however that has to come, would you just give him what he needs so that that will happen? And I, I'm going to submit to you today that that's exactly what we should pray. That's Paul's example. God, help me to know you more. Help me to know you better. Help me to know you deeper in a new way today. Because when I do that, I will realize once again that you're on the throne of the circumstances in my life. And regardless of whether the sun is out or everything is frozen around me, I will have the peace to navigate all of those circumstances because I already have the most important thing in life, which is a relationship with you. And so give me more of that. And that concept has to shape our prayers. When we pray rightly, we have the very thing that enables us to face all the circumstances of life. We have a relationship with God Himself. Father, Paul writes that you are the one who searches hearts. Would you search our hearts today? Would you help us open them up to you more and more so that we can clearly see who you are? Impress upon us again that the most important thing in life is to know you. We might have everything in this world, but without you, we really have nothing. And the opposite is also true. We might have nothing in this world, but with you, we have everything. And so help us to pray and help us to know you more. And it's in Jesus' name that we all pray together. Everybody said, may it be.